Hello, welcome to Chapter 3 Podcast, the show for readers of science fiction, fantasy, and romance. This is Season 3, Episode 12. We are here continuing on with our Witcher read-along, and uh, this week we are back to discuss Baptism of Fire by Andrzej Sapkowski. So I've got Liana with me, and uh, as always, if you want to toss a coin to your podcasters, you can join us on Patreon or channel memberships for access to exclusive bonus content with each episode. And this episode's bonus content will be focused on the use of vampires in fiction, different versions of vampires, how they're introduced, and the cultural origins of them as a concept. So join us for that. That'll be fun. All right. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, baptism of fire. We had a lot of different kinds of baptisms. And fires. And fires. Yes, indeed. Many ofs. Yeah. Also, this had a lot of Geralt in it. Because you kept telling me yeah. we were gonna less of Geralt, but we had lots of Geralt. Basically, so this was, <laughs> this was your farewell tour. <laughs> oh, Geralt. no. Great. Okay. So long, There's Geralt. so little of Geralt in Tower of Swallows, if memory serves. So. All right. Well, it's been it's been fun. The <laughs> last draw. <laughs> oh man, <clears throat> nailed Tosca. Thank you, Matt. Thank you. Yes, I have. Uh, Liana was like, "You need to work that in." So we're doing I'm glad that. I don't have to remind you anymore. <laughs> I put it in the script. So I don't oh wow. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I you know whatever it takes to remember. Um, yeah, no, we had lots of Geralt in this one. Again, it's, you know, vaguely novel shaped, I suppose, but not really. I mean, it takes the form of like a fantasy journey book, a quest book, you know, like the fellowship traveling or um, the anti-fellowship in first law and in two minutes in we're already talking Whoa, about first law <laughs> it was quick this time <laughs> last time it wasn't until the end so you know gotta keep impressive. you guessing <laughs> you never know when a first law reference is happening um yeah no that's true it is it is kind of a quest story and i yeah i have i have to take notes on these because there's so many things that happen where do you even start where do you where would you where do you want to start with this? Because I I don't know I I feel like the well, things I find most interesting are the most spoilery. So this so like I said this is um your final farewell for like seeing <laughs> lots of Geralt, but it's also your final farewell to like a plot that's like you were complaining that like Good. this doesn't feel like it's like you know a book with a story, and mm -hmm. we've like none of the books really feel that way. Um, but they progressively get less that way. And um, Tower of Swallows is where you really see like so little of Geralt and like the all over the placeness of it becomes like even more um, like it's not just like it seems a bit all over the place. It's just like it just is all over the place. Like there's no like there's okay. the shape of a like there isn't the shape of a story. <laughs> like, I mean, OK, I guess maybe I'm exaggerating. So when you read it, you'll be like, actually, you know, it kind of story. What were um, you talking about? Yeah. But so um, I think. It becomes a. I when I was reading the series, I was like, it became apparent towards like the further you got into it. So like, uh, after this book, sort of like, um, it's uh, unavoidable or inescapable <laughs> to see that like his interest and it's it's been apparent that that Andrei Sapkowski's interest is in kind of using the 
this world and these characters in order to like play with the different ideas and like not to insult Andrei Sapkowski, but it's a little bit what Terry Goodkind was like, this is, I don't write fantasy, you know, I write philosophy. And like, I feel like a stronger case could be made that Andrei Sapkowski is doing that. Um, where like he uses the, this like framework of this world and this magic and these monsters to, in order to debate various questions and to introduce various topics and to kind of like, like we talked about genetics in this book. We talked about, um, about um a woman's right to choose mm -hmm. we talked about um like social Refugees. and moral responsibility the social moral responsibility for other people we talked about like um uh repentance we talked about just like a lot of different and then obviously the politics as well where it's like it's the politic uh, the political questions in a vacuum are interesting to examine in the way that they can represent people and how politics kind of shakes out how different competing interests um you know, take take over people's lives and affect people's lives, but also then reading it as kind of like a a nod to the Soviet Union and politics related to that in Europe. And there's just like a lot going on with these books that like on its surface, it's like a monster hunter traveling with some fairy tale creatures. And like that's that is what this book is, technically speaking, but that's like also the least of what this book is. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I I think that's accurate. There's a lot going on in this book. I mean, not just in terms of things that are happening, but the the themes and ideas that he's exploring, which I think is interesting because that's not that's not really what I expected. I think going into the series initially, probably because this did start as a video game and the show where there's a little bit of that, but not you mean your so introduction much. to like what my it was introduction to what it was was more <laughs> Andre is gonna come for you if you're like oh this god yeah, it no. as a video game <laughs> it began as a video game <laughs> no no but like my awareness of it began more with yeah. like knowing I mean I knew that the game was based on books but I didn't know much about them and so I think it's it's just been interesting okay uh, this is side side note and random but question. The barber surgeon guy, do you think he was in, inspired by what's the the um the musical? Sweeney Todd? Yes. No. I don't I even don't know. know that like in Poland they would know Sweeney Todd. They would know of it, wouldn't they? When would uh, that come out? I don't well, know. Well, I mean I the like the like urban legend about Sweeney Todd existed. The musical. Oh, yeah. No, I mean the musical. Because like um, it's been around for a while. I just kept thinking, I was like, is like it's funny that he's a barber surgeon and then a vampire. Yeah. Yeah, um, I, I don't it made me wonder. I don't I don't think it was inspired <laughs> by that, but I, I guess it could be, but yeah. <laughs> I think it was more just like it's um because uh that was what a surgeon was back in the day was that like you didn't have Correct. the occupation of like someone being a surgeon you had somebody that was a barber and also a surgeon and those like right. those were the same job so i think yes. it was just like having a vampire dealing with something that involves holding like knives to people and like dealing and with blood. blood a lot and like yeah. what what other, i mean and in a non-violent way you know that like the idea right. that he's entrusted with like caring for you and not being interested in your blood so like a barber surgeon is like the only job mm -hmm other than like a nurse, you know, so like. Yeah, I guess I just thought it was interesting because the flip side of it is something like a, a, a Sweeney Todd, right, who's interested with it and takes advantage in a negative way. And so it's interesting that you would expect a vampire 
to take advantage of that in a negative way, and yet he doesn't. Yeah, again, I think it's, I mean, it's the same, I think it's the same reason that, like, Sweeney Todd, like, I don't think it's that it's inspired by Sweeney Todd, it's just that the same reasons that Sweeney Todd became a story are the same reasons that you would choose a barber surgeon as the job, as the occupation of this vampire, when what you want to explore is, like, this, this person who, like, because the whole thing, right, is, like, challenging, like, um, Geralt is the witcher, right? His job is to, like, kill monsters. And we've constantly had the question of what is a monster? Um, what is what is a man? You know, what's the difference? When are you a danger? Is it just your capacity to do bad things? Or is it your choice to do those bad things? Like, we've seen multiple... And so, like, having the proof that Regis doesn't mean them any harm, like, I can't think of a more clear um, proof that he doesn't mean them harm than him literally, like, sewing somebody up who's bleeding out. You know, right. it's like, he's like, he's like very, yeah, I literally can't think of a single other way that you would demonstrate that this vampire not, not only can be around you, not only can be around blood, but is like interacting with blood and doesn't right. like react to it. Right. No, I mean, I think that's accurate. Okay. Here's, here's, I'm just, this is, uh, this is going to be, who knows, maybe it's not, but uh, my conspiracy theory is going to be that it is because I was curious when it. Like, Sweeney Todd originally opened in Britain in, like, 1979. So it seems possible that Sapkowski could be familiar with it. And maybe, I mean, maybe it's, I like... I seriously doubt it. Because, <laughs> like, there's no no other... There's nothing about the stories that are similar. It's just that he's a barber surgeon. But, like, none, nothing yes. about the stories, nothing about the meaning of it, nothing okay, about the, like, like metaphor like of it. like, as, like, a vague reference, I'm just saying I think this is going to be my conspiracy theory that secretly Sapkowski maybe is into musicals and wanted to have nods. <laughs> I just, like, there's the only, like, nod is that he's a barber mm-hmm. surgeon, but, like, is every barber surgeon in a, in every story a, a reference to Sweeney Todd? No, but because he's a vampire, I just, I don't know. I think, I think it would be very Because, I mean, there's, there's so the many, case. there are lots of stories where vampires are, like, doctors and in this day and age that would be what he is like you know that's like you, like the okay, but usually usually it's because they that's how they're able to get access to the blood that they want right but so i'm saying like so this whole idea of having a, a vampire in a position to be interacting with blood mm-hmm. is like a how thing and like that's what he yeah. has in this book is like the yieldy version of that is this this vampire that's chosen an occupation that like you would think he's choosing it because it puts him in the way of blood but really he seems to have no interest in the opportunity presented by that. So like, mm-hmm. that's what he's talking about. Whereas like Sweeney Todd is like a metaphor of eating the rich. So like, I don't, I don't see the connection. <laughs> I think it would be entertaining if it was the case though. <laughs> I love the Witcher books and I love Sweeney Todd, but I do not see a connection. <laughs> okay. Well, Maybe one day we'll, we can ask Sapkowski if he secretly was trying to... If you have the to opportunity to speak to Sapkowski, that's your number one question. Was Rage Sweeney Todd? And yeah. he's like, what is Sweeney Todd? <laughs> I mean, come on. He's going to know what Sweeney Todd is, wouldn't he? Why? I mean, it's been around since the late 70s. So there's a lot of people nowadays that don't know what Sweeney Todd is. I guess. I don't know. I don't know maybe how big musical theater know. is in Poland in general. I, maybe it's really big. I have no idea. But... Huge musical theater. We could maybe, if anybody knows how big of a deal musical theater is in Poland, let us know. 
Okay. <clears throat> we can move on, though. <laughs> we can just talk about Sweeney Todd for the rest of the... You know, it could be fun. Speaking of musicals, though, I did finally watch Hamilton. The whole thing? The whole thing, yeah. And you loved it? I liked it. <laughs> you decided to tell me this just so you could tell me that you didn't love it? I mean, I can see why it was such a big deal and so groundbreaking for what it did when it came out. Ain't nobody else done anything like that since. No, I (laughs) mean. It's not like it started a trend of everybody doing Hamilton-esque shows. I liked it. I think it was, I think it was really interesting. I enjoyed it. I mean, I don't know that I would like go out of my way to watch it again necessarily maybe if i had the chance to see it in person but um but yeah i'm glad oh, that i saw to set it set the and... record straight sweeney todd is not a vampire which is why i don't know where bethany is getting this from <laughs> no but he also okay listen the I point is that like <laughs> <laughs> okay it's not that he was a vampire it's that he was like taking advantage of his position in a bloody way right and this guy you would expect to be taking advantage of his position in a bloody way except he's not that's really i i you know what it's probably the way that my brain just connects things because that more, is the other what that, i'm more you know, it's probably because in. that's the other instance that i have in my head of a barber surgeon and that's probably what, where that what i'm more from. interested in is the fact is wanting to know if you <laughs> Speaking of seeing musicals, have seen or have intend to see Josh Groban as Sweeney Todd on Broadway because that is my dream right now. Oh, that's right. Um, maybe I've listen. I know I live in New York, but Broadway shows are really expensive and also require lots of babysitting. So I've only seen them twice in both times. But Josh Groban is playing Sweeney it's Todd. True. That would be cool if I can afford slash have the time and opportunity to do it. The thing is, is like, I only do it when my mom comes into town or somebody else is coming and being like, hey, let's go see a Broadway show because it's expensive. If I lived in New York, I'd be like, hubby, you watch the kids. I'm taking myself on a solo (laughs) date to go see Josh Groban. (laughs) It's a very expensive solo date. (laughs) It's less expensive than two of you seeing it, though. (laughs) I mean, I guess that's true. And paying for a babysitter for several hours. Oh, God. Yeah. But also, you like, I feel like you see a lot of theater. Yeah, I do. So, that's, uh, something that's, we put that in the budget, <laughs> <laughs> which is great. Um, I am actually seeing Sweeney Todd like locally. This, uh, the theater that we have season tickets for, the repertory theater, they were supposed mm-hmm. to do Sweeney Todd, um, like 2020, but they canceled the whole season in 2020 because of COVID. And then it right. said they would do all the shows that they had planned, but then like so much time went by that I'm assuming the cast they had lined up for it couldn't do it anymore because you know they had moved on. And so then I was like, oh, I'm never gonna see Sweeney Todd. I was promised Sweeney Todd, and now I'll never see it. So finally, now. They're going to do Sweeney Todd, as promised. Awesome. Okay, you know what you should do? Just come visit me in New York, and I will go with you to see Josh Groban and Sweeney Todd. Because me traveling to New York so much simpler than you getting a babysitter and going. <laughs> I mean, it'd be fun. I'll show you some vegan restaurants. It'll be a good time. That's the only thing that there is to do in New York, is see Josh Groban and find <laughs> vegan restaurants. I mean, among other things, but you know, what's the priority? Go to some bookstores. There's good bookstores. (laughs) 
in the Statue of Liberty and MoMA and the Times Square. And I mean, but you know, that's what everybody does. Like, is that? But we could do that too. Um, okay. Oh, okay. Thank you, Jessica. Jessica is with me and pictured him as Johnny Depp. Wow. Okay. Look at that. I See, mean, it's not just me. Thank you. All right, whatever. But she is not in favor of my lukewarm Hamilton position. I mean, I liked it. Unreal. I just... I have had a couple of things from it, like, stuck in my head now, which is a little bit annoying. This can happen. (laughs) It's quite catchy. It is. There were some, like, really good performances. Although I do think... Um, Lin-Manuel Miranda is a better writer than singers. Oh yeah, he's he's terrible. When I saw Hamilton live, um, like on stage, the actor that played Hamilton in this, the cast that I saw was not to the original Hamilton, because obviously that's Lin-Manuel Miranda, but he was the original UK Hamilton. So he was nearly the original, and he was actually a very good singer and very good performer. So I was like, this is actually way better than I could see that. Some of the other performances were fantastic. The guy who plays the king uh-huh. was like, but David Diggs playing Thomas Jefferson in Lafayette. Great. Yeah, I love David Diggs. He was fantastic. Yeah, his performance was great. I've got to say. Um. Oh yes, <laughs> Hamilton takes. Do I need to make another TikTok? Please do. I sent your TikToks to Liana because it was super entertaining. Um, it was great. Helpless is my favorite song from Hamilton. Okay, nice. Lynn being an okay singer has been a critique a lot of fans have. Fair. I'm. That's that's not surprising. <laughs> Sweetie Todd and the Witcher search is going to wreck my algorithm suggestions going forward. So thanks for that. Sorry, Matt. Um, yeah, I will say partway through, like near the end of, of Hamilton, I was like, I remember somebody saying that this is not entirely historically accurate. So I was Googling like, what are how accurate is while Hamilton watching are, it yeah no wonder it, you were lukewarm feelings about it you I mean, not for watching. the whole time i mean it was like for a few minutes like towards the later part of it they were singing it was like that's the whole show i know <laughs> they're singing I know. that's like I the mean, point it's very long it's like two and a half hours that's standard for a Broadway music. Can you tell I don't go to very There's That's why there's it's an intermission. I know, but it's different when you're there. When it's like on a screen, it's just like not the same experience. I was on my computer watching it. So I was like on my phone looking up what things are accurate and what things aren't because I was curious. Yes, show Hamilton respect. <sighs> yeah, okay. You just treat it like going to the theater. Get dressed up, sit down on your couch, be like, we are and will not be interrupting this. Turn off the lights. Children, be silent. It is theater. I w- right? I, well, I wasn't. I watched some of it on my couch and some of it, like, at my desk in three sections. I couldn't watch it all at once. I watched it, like, across three sittings. But I wasn't aware that was something <laughs> a person could do. I'm perplexed. <laughs> at least now I'll get your reference. <laughs> and now we have not talked very much about baptism of fire. Say, oh, the witcher? <laughs> this is turning into a... <laughs> Broadway musical episode. Uh, yeah, Witcher. So, do we think Witcher would be a good Broadway musical? <laughs> no, no, don't answer that. Let's talk about Baptism of Fire. I was kidding. Sure. <laughs> I broke normal. <laughs> okay, for reference, though, like, this is the thing. I 
rarely watch movies and like don't watch much tv and when i do it's usually like a couple hours a week so like i'm also just not great at like i don't know i hey that's a good point the opening of hamilton could be Geralt. just can it can lin-manuel not play Geralt if we if we do this he would probably want to you know he'd be like let's have david diggs yes that would be that'd be good also okay since we're not talking about the witcher um i would just like to say that like how do you write a new rap song for the little mermaid but not have david diggs perform it like what (laughs) excuse me (laughs) whose idea was this (laughs) (laughs) i still need to see the little mermaid (laughs) i just i do plan i do plan to see it but yeah the rap, which was again notably not mm-hmm. performed by Divya Diggs, is the right. absolute, objectively worst part of the movie. Oh no! It is truly bad. Whatever you're imagining, it's worse. Was it performed by Lin Manuel Miranda? It was performed by Aquafina. Hmm. In the role of Scuttle. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's an interesting choice. Truly awful. Hmm. So yeah, let's not do that in the Witcher musical that we are now no. writing. Yes, absolutely. Um, I do think the Witcher could be a musical. I mean, we do have a troubadour as one of the prominent characters. So True, uh, which also works as like a framing device. Oh, speaking of which, there is a framing device in this. Although maybe I couldn't tell. Is it the whole book or is it just at the end? There's like a man telling stories to kids. Is it supposed to be Geralt? And was it just introduced at the end of the book? That Or did so I miss it? So the feeling that you have about that part of it, just the whole of Tower of Swallows and Lady of the Lake is like that. Which is um, why when I was talking about those books, I was like, I don't understand what's going on. By which I mean... I understand 100% what is going on on the page that I'm reading right now. What I don't understand is why I am being told this right now. I don't understand why we are here now talking about these people over here right now. Like, I understand what you're telling me about them. I am comprehending it. I don't know why it's happening. (laughs) Weird. So, but am I wrong that it's at, like, the end of the book that this framing device is introduced of this Um, man telling these stories to kids? Or did I just miss it? the very end, but yeah, towards the end. Okay. I was like, did I just miss it at the beginning of the book? Weird. Yeah. That's interesting. Okay. Um, We could talk about uh, Milva is an interesting character. And then the way that this attempts to manage like body autonomy and abortion. (laughs) Nice light topics. (laughs) As per usual on this podcast. But I mean, like, these books deal a ton with women's reproductive health. We have, like, menstruation with Siri. We have Yennefer's infertility. We have Milva's um, abortion slash miscarriage. Like, I I mean, like I said, just the fact of how much this gets, like, like, featured in these books, like, that by itself is feminist. Like, this is not in fantasy, usually. The fact that you have a woman on a quest, it's like, well, she's just one of the lads. And it's like, I mean, women would have different problems and, like what if one gets pregnant <laughs> like yeah well and clearly had been pregnant yeah the the way that was handled was so interesting i mean it was obvious that probably she was pregnant because i'm like oh she's throwing up i wonder why it's it's always because they're pregnant 
Well, it's always because they're pregnant if it's being brought up as like a, hmm, right. they seem to be throwing up a lot. Like I can't possibly guess why. <laughs> oh, they're pregnant. And somehow, like, everybody around them is completely clueless. <laughs> but yeah, I thought it was interesting because, you know, she, like, she wants to take a potion to cause an abortion. And I'm just like, well, who should make that decision? And they're like, the woman. And then she's unsure if that's really what she wants. And then she has a miscarriage anyway. And I just, I was like, I don't know. I Like, I like what the book was trying to do, I guess. But I don't know that I love the choice of instead just having it be taken away, have that decision be taken away from her. I don't, I don't know. Like, I feel like it could be read. depending on the person reading reading the text could read multiple things into it regardless of whether they were intended if that makes sense yeah but i also think that like the danger or uh i shouldn't say dangerous that's not quite what i mean but um like having a topic like that introduced like that doesn't mean that all of a sudden your characters have to be like avatars for discussing this issue in the most ideal way because like these characters wouldn't probably react to this in the most ideal way none right. of them including milva so like the fact that we did kind of stop pause the book to discuss it in a almost like metatextual way was almost to the detriment of the characters to be suddenly like let's handle this topic mm-hmm. um so i think it like barely just barely threaded that needle of like the characters still kind of like speaking in a way that's like well that would be what dandelion thinks about it that would be what Geralt thinks about it that would be what rageous thinks about it um mm-hmm while still pausing to be like, let's discuss it openly. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the fact of her miscarrying, like, I think it's it's again like a, I, I don't even know that it means anything because the idea that a miscarriage has to mean something, I think is also like a harmful idea that's like, oh, it's someone's fault or oh, that it's like, mm-hmm. it means it wasn't meant to be or something. It's just like, no, just like shit happens. Like there's constantly bad things happening. And like in the situations they're in right now, they talk about how freaking dangerous it would be. And they're trying right. to go a different route because they're like the route we were going to go is like super dangerous for a pregnant woman. So we're going to try to go this other way, but it's like also dangerous. So the fact that she like miscarries, it's like, yeah, that would happen. Like, if you're going to have a, like, go through the situation, like, that's probably what would happen. Yeah, I mean, it possibly could. I guess my, I guess it's just that, you know, somebody could read this and read into it that it, I don't know that, I don't know that I think that this is what Sapkowski was going for, but somebody could, I could see someone reading this as like, oh, well, she miscarried because she was thinking of aborting the baby or something. Or somebody could read it I get. I I don't know. I like. I guess it just feels like a sensitive issue. Also, I guess content warning for people that there's like a miscarriage in this. Um, well, and I think it was hard too because then she was she seemed on the fence about whether she actually wanted to. And I don't know. There was that whole conversation about her feeling like she needed to sacrifice a life for a life with the idea that she was going to abort the baby i don't know well, not it was sacrifice just, it was, a life for a life but save a life or save a life she because be. she was right yeah. yeah so it's not i guess the thing is is like it's not the most ideal but i think that's what the book was like talking about because like Geralt is on this like pig-headed mission of his own that's also about redemption and like Mm -hmm. he has this conversation with Rageous where he's like well you idiot like you've decided that this is how it's going to be and that that the like um 
the accounting of like morality works in this black and white way. And the thing is, it doesn't. The thing is that life doesn't work like that. And the fact that Geralt and Milva, both in their own ways, were like thinking of life as this like neat, like profit and loss, like calculus that they could be like, I sacrifice here to like, like make up mm. for this over here. And, and it's like, you can't like works. asset manage like morals. like And the fact that both of them were playing this game and that both of them together kind of had to come together to be like, we both are realizing that whatever we were doing was not how you think about this. Mm. I can see that. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, because n- neither of them, it, it just didn't work with what reality ended up being. Because even then, Geralt was like, I would have said that nothing would stop me, nothing, no life, no sacrifice, you know, nothing would stand in my way to save Siri. Mm-hmm. Um, I would get there as fast as I can, except now I'm deciding, no, we're going to go the long way around for Milva and her baby, because I've mm-hmm. decided that I guess I am prioritizing that life over Ciri's. And then it's like the, but I can't, I can't think about things that way, because you can't think of it as like, asset prioritizing, Right, yes, because <laughs> they're people, Yeah. Um, this is interesting comment says in part, it feels like a cop out that no one had to make the decision, but also miscarriages happen a lot, especially in high stress, high physical danger situations. So her miscarrying was realistic. I mean, yeah, that's, that's true. Matt says fun fact, Gooseberry was the original many mornings after. Well, and I think it seemed to me that the decision more or less had been made. Like they were traveling this other way because she was going to keep it. And mm-hmm. so then, like, this was the way that they could travel so that would be, like, more feasible for her. So, like, I don't even think that it was that that they was a cop-out so no one had to decide. They went through this, like, painful process of deciding which thing to do. And mm-hmm. then even after coming to this conclusion of, like, this is the choice that I've made, that choice is still, still yanked from you by right. fate. So, like, there's right. you're not even really the master of these, like, questions of life and death as much as you'd like to think that you are. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, fair. Um, what's the other other things well uh, even in this same book we also had a conversation and a little lesson on how genetics works when the council was talking about like the the elder blood oh genes. yes and then we were like what did they use for like the let's pretend these like red beans like what was it that they were like this is and i was like like remember. transported to my like bio class in middle school yeah it was totally definitely like, like learned a pun, do a punnett square <laughs> yeah <laughs> and they then like the people the at the council were like we don't follow this at all <laughs> what are you talking about yeah oh man yeah that was that was pretty but i think that's also like a really interesting take because like there's so many fantasy stories that have like the oh this is like the the aragorn is like the long descendant of isildur like he's got mm-hmm. the blood you know to be the heir of gondor and it's just right. like just that it's like very straightforwardly you are the like descendant of this bloodline and that's you know sorry <laughs> and like that's that's it. it it's just a matter of like succession and lineage but right. here the way that like they have this like this gene this like elder blood gene um and they they're trying almost like the benny jesserit to kind of like navigate like getting the heir that was going to have the elder blood mm-hmm. but what they don't realize is that it's like a two-step process because you need the like catalyst part that's like in the blood that it's mixing with and you need both and that's why like just having the one isn't enough and mm-hmm. the way that like genetics is like actively playing this role and like you actually have to like there's like more to genetics than just this like one traceable bloodline that's like both bloodlines matter and like you can be a like a carrier for it and it not mm-hmm. be manifesting and you can be a carrier for the catalyst and those like the, the whole conversation is like you don't get that in fantasy it's just like oh yeah. 
half orf, uh, um, uh, like a dwarf and an elf have a baby. It's a half elf, half dwarf, you know, like right. this is the heir of Gondor because of the blood. It's like very like straightforward and not how genetics works. Because like mm-hmm. in theory, like if we're saying like an elf and a dwarf are like races and not species, therefore they can procreate together and you can have a half elf, half dwarf. That means that there are races the way that we like humans have different races. They are not different species, which also means that you wouldn't just have like somebody that looks like straight down the middle, half dwarf characteristics, half elf characteristics. You could have like a child that looks entirely like an elf, even though their mom's a dwarf or entirely like a dwarf, even though their dad's an elf, you know, like it's just like introducing all this like more real world questions. Yeah. Well, but then on top of it, right they acknowledge that even with all of that following the actual genetics you're still missing things because there's stuff like bastards and affairs and stuff that you can't track in the lines because people aren't public about like who all they're having kids with so i thought that was funny that they're like well we can figure this and this out but still we're not really sure because like you know people <laughs> but yeah i thought it was it was kind of a cool addition to to a fantasy world well and then we similarly had like many many stories do the like i'm a vampire but what you've heard about vampires is wrong here's the truth Mm -hmm. about vampires i don't sparkle um so like (laughs) um we kind of we like that is kind of trite and on this book is a little bit older so like it wouldn't have been that trite to do Mm -hmm. that at all but like like nowadays it's like very like common to have your vampire explain how he's not like other vampires um and so we did do that here but it wasn't just that it was like the whole like history of like um where these ideas would have come from the sociology of that about like where humans got these ideas from and like how they think of things and how what they think of as like a normal um like genetic makeup and like phenotypic makeup if you're aberrant from that even in a way that's successful that is monstrous and that humans are like the more you are different from human even if it's in like a pretty objectively beneficial way humans mm-hmm. are like that's a monster because it's different from humans and so like mm-hmm. rageous is like do you see how human centric you're being right now <laughs> and like that's why you think of vampires this way and about yeah. that whole little like it was like like watching a debate online where he's like you know so like apparently like this is what you think right that vampires live forever and that if we like bite you that you become a vampire so let's do the math on that if the vampires mm. have been around for forever <laughs> um because so, it's like there's so many like vampire stories like, like how, how, aren't, how really, why are there how, so few right why wouldn't there be more vamp- why aren't vampires taking over everything yeah, yeah. so Regis is like so is it more likely that like that that's not how it works or that we just choose not to spread like Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that was good. I well, I guess the other question is, how quickly did you guess that he was a vampire? Because I feel like it was really obvious very early, and it was funny too because he, like, even the moment that they're like, "Oh, we think there's a vampire there," and he like tell talks to Geralt about like, "Well, you would think it wouldn't be these kinds of vampires, but it would be this kind of vampire." And Geralt's like, "Oh, wow!" And you didn't even mention the ones that aren't the aren't real, but just mythical versions of vampire. And I was like, "He's a vampire. Obviously, he's a vampire." Yeah. but somehow not ominous like, and none of them are really scared of him until they learn that he is a vampire and they're like well now we're not good with it and it's like well you were good with it before <laughs> which like kind of reminds me of um <clears throat> first law <laughs> where when um like really has- it reminds you of first law <laughs> when pharaoh has seen logan like hulk out into the bloody nine so she's like well aware of what that's like but the other people haven't seen it 
And so then when they all now do see what the bloody nine is like, and now they're all of a sudden like not cool with being around Logan. And Pharaoh's like, he's been around you this entire time. Like, why is it a problem now? <laughs> so it's like, kind of reminds me of this like thing with Regis where it's like, well, you know, he treated your wounds, never bit you once. He had plenty of opportunities if he was gonna like, you right. know, you guys were passed out drunk around him. He didn't do anything. So like he like, <laughs> What is it you're afraid of? He clearly is not like aiming for that. If he was, he had so many chances. I did have a while where I thought he was going to be sketchy because the fact that he wasn't drinking and was getting them all drunk and then Dandelion like shared the secret of, you know, about Siri. I was like, did he do that on purpose? What's his angle? So I was I was kind of surprised that he uh, turned out to be a reasonably because you're a prejudiced human just apparently i'm so anti-vamp i guess so it seems (laughs) but i mean even Um, regis is kind of anti-vamp because he's like the reason he hangs around humans is kind of because he's like you know being around my own kind is kind of the worst (laughs) so you know i'm I'm happy to blend in with people Mm -hmm. there was um one thing that I thought was kind of interesting was there in the second chapter, and I mean, it's kind of done in a rough way, but there is some conversation about how war hurts not just the men that go to war, but it hurts women too, usually because of like sexual assault and that kind of violence that goes along with it. Um, but that like people talk about it as if, oh, men going off to war, but it's like, yeah, but they're not really the only ones being harmed by the violence. Yeah. Well, we see women constantly suffering. Like we had the women that were abused that they found and then they found that there were more bones and that there were more women that had been hurt. And then obviously like the decoy theory. That's not great. (laughs) So, yeah, like we definitely see how horrible this world can be to women. Absolutely. Also, Dandelion was being like a creep about Milva. (laughs) Dandelion's always a creep. He's a he's a player. Yeah. And then he was super dramatic when he got him got injured. I mean, he's gotten injured before and also been traumatic. Like yeah. being dramatic oh, is God. just dandelion. It's just how he is. Yeah. Yep. But also, um, what's his name? The Nilfgaardian who's like, I'm not a Nilfgaardian, but okay, I guess you can call me a Nilfgaardian because according to you I am. Mm-hmm. Um, who's like constantly saving their asses and girls like fine, I guess you're not our enemy. <laughs> but he's the one that Siri had nightmares about. Mm. Yeah. And Siri is like, finally sort of stands up for herself and is like, I don't want to be touched anymore. It's interesting, but she's still very embroiled in her little gang of Well, she's also finding people. herself because like yeah. who she was was the Witcher girl, Princess Thrilla, who had magical powers and was training with Geralt. And now she doesn't have magical powers anymore. She doesn't call herself Siri. She doesn't have ties to her royal bloodline. She's somebody else now. Like and she's like mm-hmm. already gone through this kind of like transformation where she's like rejected her own past and is trying to figure out who she is now. And yet the name she now has, Falka, was the name of one of her ancestors. So it's like even in that, right? Like you can't still, escape your destiny. You can't escape your destiny. I mean, Geralt keeps having dreams about Siri as well. Yep. But he's yep. not the only one. 
interesting. I missed seeing more of Yennefer, but apparently she was a statuette. <laughs> and she was pretty mad about it. <laughs> yeah. It's valid. I, you know, it's understandable. But I love that her, like, recovery <laughs> snack is oysters. that's the first thing i'd want after being trapped in a statue for a month or whatever it was I, yeah i think it was longer than that but yeah that was that was interesting and we have this whole you know group of sorceresses trying to which direct... also like in that meeting when yennefer's hearing things that she's like interested in but she's like keep calm yennefer keep it cool poker face yennefer just <laughs> just info gather don't tell them keep it cool <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah. I did think it was really funny in the first chapter there they have this whole conversation about how like well we have to do this secretly because clearly men can't be trusted in a crisis. They're so emotional. <laughs> like this is great. Yeah. It was fun. Which is why like from the beginning I think it was in the last wish chat I was like I think a book can be male gazy and feminist at the same time. I don't think they are mutually exclusive. And I think that's what this series reads as to me is that it's kind of both. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, somebody had earlier say, oh yeah, there was an earlier comment saying I was pretty shocked about how much reproductive talk happened based on how often I've heard complaints of the series being sexist. And yeah, I mean, I think that's the thing is like there are character well and i don't know like i mean i think some of it is male gazy some of it is there are very sexist characters that are written into it and yet at the same time it like it has like a reasonable amount of feminism built into it as well and it's especially like for fantasy and for being older fantasy like yeah, uh, sure. more than common amount of like purely just representation of strong female characters and then active discussion of women's issues right so and taking it seriously, like taking seriously, you know, sexual violence during war and talking about, you know, fertility and stuff like that. So I think it's it's, uh, it's interesting. Well, and like c coming back to Milva and the conversation that they all have, they're like, okay, like she's pregnant, but like we're all on this journey together right now. And like, it's kind of all of our problem. Like, it's not that right. like, oh, that's her problem. Like, she better take care of it. They're like, it's like, it's our it collective problem. She's one of our like of our fellowship or whatever you know that like that we all have a stake in what happens here yeah yeah oh that's right i had a note and i forgot about this with the vampire thing i thought it was so interesting that he sort of framed blood as being an addiction that he's in recovery from like I, I, I don't know. I found that to be like a really interesting way of sort of framing it. That he was like, you know, in his youth, encouraged to just like be reckless and drinking, and now he's just like, I mean, it's like AA for vampires. I guess I feel like that's done a lot with vampirism, where like blood is the metaphor for drugs or alcohol. Yeah, I mean, I that's fair. I guess that's that's probably true. But it was that was interesting. Um, we was it out. in this too where he was talking about like um, wearing um, garlic and he's like yeah don't forget the mustard thanks for seasoning yourselves like <laughs> <laughs> that's good um, do we, we could talk about all of the various baptisms of fire I didn't keep a list but I'm guessing you did I, yep, through my notes, I tried to make a note every time I noticed it. 
Take a shot every time there's a baptism of fire. <laughs> Take a shot every time there's a baptism of fire. Yeah. So in chapter one, the um, there was a reference to the war and the like, the fighting as a baptism of fire, basically, like literal fire and fighting and stuff. Um, I probably missed some, but I tried to like make some notes. Where's my next one? Well, so then there's the whole thing of in chapter four, they're trying to burn the witch at the stake, like the supposed witch at the stake. Evil, evil women need a baptism of fire to be purified because women are like evil, blah, blah, blah. And then um, our barber. Well, we had the lovely like parody of a witch trial anyway, where they're right. like, well, you have to do this impossible thing and then you'll prove mm -hmm. that you're not a witch. Oh, of you course. can do this impossible thing. Well, that actually proves uh, that you are, are a, a witch. <laughs> And the barber surgeon's like, I'm just going to take that horseshoe out of the fire, which I guess could be his baptism of fire. But so there's a lot of a lot of that, which is interesting. Um, then. Oh, uh, okay. I love the thing about the like, she obviously killed her cat and they're like, oh, her cat that looks like this. You know how I know? Because you mean the one right, right over there? there? <laughs> yeah, it's that like, cat? I think it says the cat just starts licking its own ass because it has like no concept of like the drama yeah. of the situation. Right. Of course. <laughs> Of course. Like, that is exactly what Kaz would do. That's that's yep. That when I'm getting burned as a witch, Kaz is licking her butt. <laughs> <laughs> that's what would happen. Oh, cats. Um, let's see. Chapter five: Baptism of Fire was Geralt not wanting any help in saving Siri because of his guilt, like that he viewed saving her and going through the challenges of that without anyone helping him as his own sort of baptism of fire to like cleanse him of his penance. sense of guilt penance yeah exactly um so there was that one and then i think the last one i had noted was at the end of the book that where where Geralt and the milf guardian fighting together was their baptism of fire. Which again, Geralt reflects on. He's like, I thought I would go through a baptism of fire for Siri, but here I'm going through it for Milva. Mm -hmm. Like that, I wouldn't have thought that I would. But I think we also get a baptism of fire for Siri. I mean, like that for herself. Like in the the brief chapters we get with her, I think that's also. I think you're right. I I feel like. But also, can we can we acknowledge that this book ends on a joke? That like, his he has always been Geralt of Rivia, and in this book, oh, yeah. like in the middle of it, he's like, "Oh, I'm not like from Rivia. We just kind of like picked a name out of a hat." I'm like, "That's my name," and then yeah. he actually becomes Geralt becomes of Rivia. Geralt of Rivia, <laughs> which because like it's funny, but it also is in keeping with the themes. It's almost like a Greek tragedy in this book or this book series where everybody is like like linked by fate and destiny in an inescapable way and even if you think mm -hmm. if even if you're you're Geralt who's like I reject destiny I reject fate it's like okay like by rejecting it you are entrapped by it because every Greek hero or every Greek like a uh, tragic figure you know in every Greek tragedy who like learns like a prophecy of their future and tries to evade it by trying to evade it they enact the thing that brings about the prophecy so like mm -hmm. um the fact that Geralt would be called like of Rivia and then of actually Rivia become it is like is you know it feels faded yeah it's true oh I missed one uh chapter six the sorceresses 
also, I didn't give a lot of detail. I said sorceress is also going through fire to purify themselves. Like they talk, they talk about like some kind of baptism of fire as purifying themselves, whatever, in whatever sense. So yeah. Yeah. There was lots of it. Everybody found the Rivia story very entertaining according to the comments. Yes, it was very funny and it is true everybody is indeed getting baptized in fire in this book and we also had a couple of references to the tower of swallows which is oh is, oh, is that the next book, book. shockingly <laughs> I, there there is a pattern to how the series works um oh i did have a couple other like minor things that i just thought were interesting like it was kind of funny the dwarves not caring about like gemstones and their value and being like it's just a rock <laughs> it goes like yeah well fun. they also have that like long argument about like Geralt's sword and Geralt's like this sword is like this ancient like mm -hmm. weapon that's like really valuable and they're like it's a piece of shit like we have much better technology now like <laughs> yeah. okay your your old sword <laughs> like it's not great yeah which is kind of like if you think about, about like metal metallurgy fantasy constantly does that thing of oh this ancient weapon that that makes it valuable and it's like okay but like realistically like would you rather have the the ancient airplane built by the Wright brothers or would you rather have like a plane built by Boeing today? <laughs> like, right. I'm going with Boeing. <laughs> right. So like, if it was like an ancient sword, it's like, yeah, no, probably there's better swords being made now. <laughs> New sword, please. <laughs> We've improved our metallurgy since then. <laughs> so I feel yep. like, yeah, again, he's constantly playing with like the fact that he's writing this like old timey fantasy. He's like constantly mm -hmm. using that to like, subvert your expectations as concerns that yeah absolutely uh the one other thing that stood out to me and this was just like a small thing did you notice the 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 creepy there was like this creepy song about clowns but the clowns were really people getting hanged it was in chapter five i was <laughs> like well that's creepy what? it was like a i yeah i think it was like a like in a bar or a pub or something, I want to say. And it was like they were singing the song about like creepy clowns dancing, except that actually it was like about execution by hanging. I was like, well, that's disturbing. In fairness, a lot of like old songs like that are I mean, yeah. not about what they seem to be. Yeah. I don't specifically recall that. But... Okay. If I, oh, like. Like flipping through to see if I see it, but I made a note of it because I was like, that is something. Maybe it was like, oh yeah, this. The it's on page 251. The clowns dance on the scaffold, rhythmically twitching and jerking. They sing their song of sadness and beauty, and the clowns have all the fun. Every corpse will recall when the stool's kicked away and his eyes roll up to the sun. I think it's just like uh it's even possibly just like a translation thing of because like we have we Maybe. talk about the gallows jig like in English. Yeah. So I'm guessing in Polish or in Polish tradition, this is like their version of the gallows jig. Cause people talk about like it as dancing mm -hmm. when your feet are kicking when you're getting hanged. So. Yeah. But this as I was living through looking for that, I remember into the like the opener that juxtaposes the way that the humans tell the story of Lara Duran and the way that the elves tell the story of Lara yes. Duran. Yes. And just the way that, like, he's constantly, you know, the way that, like, myth and legend and prejudice and, like, folk truth 
and history are all shaped by the teller. And that's why I, th I think it's no accident that Dandelion is a troubadour, a teller of stories that's constantly around and is like, well, you know, the way that I tell the story affects, like, he's, like, really important. And everywhere he goes, everyone's like, oh, it's Dandelion, like, the, mm -hmm. the famous troubadour. And, of course, he always, <laughs> always like, don't you know who I am? Um, but, I mean, it's, like, the amount of power that you kind of indirectly wield by, like, shaping mm -hmm. the common cultural narrative by the way you're telling these stories, like, it's not insignificant. Yeah, that's true. Absolutely. I think that's everything I have on this. Did you have any sort of final thoughts on it? Did you like it? I guess we didn't talk about that. How did you How did you rate this? Yeah, I mean, I gave it five stars the first time and five stars the second time. Four out of those five stars is for Regis, but... <laughs> okay, fair enough. I feel like I'm pretty consistently giving most of these four stars. Like, I like them. I pretty much, like, the first time through, I think I gave everything five stars up until I got to Tower of Swallows and Lady of the Link, and I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, should be interesting next month. <laughs> I'm hoping that, like, going into Tower of Swallows prepared for the, like, chaos of that. Mm -hmm. I, chaos isn't quite the right word, but, like, it is, like, like, it becomes, like, unwieldy. Like, it feels like it's gotten away from him, and he keeps broadening the scope, and it's like, sir, sir, come on focus on the story like too many things happening too many plates spinning like focus mm -hmm. and he's like nope i have this tangent now and you're like <laughs> okay i guess really? like, I'm, I'm glad you're interested in that and this is interesting i just don't know what this has to do with the main narrative great well we will be back <laughs> in august to discuss tower of swallows so we'll see We'll see how it goes. Um, it is time for On My Radar, where I'll share recent or upcoming book releases in sci-fi and fantasy I'm excited about. But first, if you enjoy the podcast, as always, we really appreciate if you take a moment to rate and review us so we can reach more listeners. And if you're interested in getting early access to episodes, sometimes I should take that out because sometimes it's occasionally early access if we happen to not do them live, which does happen. It happened with one of the romance episodes recently, but mostly you get exclusive bonus content, which is really fun. Consider supporting us on Patreon or channel memberships. Again, our um, bonus content for this episode is going to be talking more about vampires, the use of vampires in fiction and cultural origins. So join us for that. Huge thanks to all of our supporting patrons, including our world expander patrons, Stephanie. You all make what we do possible. So we appreciate you. And uh, I've got some books. Liana, I think you don't have anything this week. No worries. Um, okay, so I have I mean, a Lightbringer's coming out, but who doesn't know about that? Inform the people. Maybe they don't. Oh, the sixth and notably not final Red Rising book is coming out in <laughs> Wasn't July. Wasn't it supposed to be the last it was, one? But it was. It's not. Who's surprised? Talk about scope creeps, just like with Andre Sapkowski. Mm-hmm. Isn't they're super long too, but yeah. Um, also, we have A Song of Salvation by Alicia Dow. This one's a YA space opera about a reincarnated god and a grumpy pilot on a mission to save a beloved space DJ and stop an intergalactic war. That should be entertaining. I'm going to be reading that. Then this is more horror, but I really loved it, even though it might be for a more niche audience. Camp Damascus by Chuck Tingle is horror 
slash satire of the Amer of American evangelical Christianity. <laughs> it's um, horror set at a conversion camp, like pray the gateway type camp, but there's also like demons and things. It was excellent. And there are some really deep cuts. We don't know who Chuck Tingle is because he's anonymous, but I think I can safely say he's probably an ex-evangelical. <laughs> given the writing that was really good you um write what you know so i do wonder what andre sapkowski knows <sighs> i mean <laughs> a lot of things apparently uh one that i read that i thought was interesting and might not be everybody's cup of tea but i, I just wanted to mention is the saint of bright doors by vajra chandra sakara it's this kind of interesting um south asian inspired fantasy about the child of a godlike man whose mother raises him to assassinate his father but then he doesn't want to do it and he like goes to the city with these mysterious doors and i don't know it's this it's kind of weird and surreal at times and kind of hops around like the right but i it's one of those things that i feel like for the right people they could really love it and, and it's just different. It's something different and interesting. And then lastly, The Jassad Air, Air by Sarah Hashem is, uh, I think, debut Middle Eastern inspired fantasy that's coming out. I think it's going to be the first in the series. And it, it looks interesting. So see, those are those are the things on my radar. Only one of them I've actually, well, no, I've read two of them so far. But go check them out. They're all linked below if you're interested. I will be back with Izzy for the next episode, July 11th, to discuss Radiant Sin by Katie Roberts. So if you're following along for the Dark Olympus read-along, join us. And this has been Chapter 3 Podcast. We're your hosts, Bethany and Liana. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Chapter 3 Podcast. And of course, find us on our individual YouTube channels. Um, Join us in a few weeks for our next episode, and this episode's bonus content will be available to patrons in the next few days. Thanks for listening.